0: Hello and welcome to Defiant Optimism, the inspiring podcast from Smiley Movement, where we talk to extreme fundraisers, the people who go above and beyond to raise money and awareness for an important cause. I'm Amy, the chief editor here at Smiley Movement, and I'm always amazed by the insane challenges some people do to give back. Today, my, my guest is Jo Stokoe. Now, Joe is a clinical oncologist who swam the English Channel in September 2021 to raise money for the Sussex Cancer Fund and the Roy Castle Lung Foundation. Now, it's around 21 miles, um, land miles to complete, and it usually takes people anywhere between 12 and 20 hours. Jo, amazingly, did it in 15 and a half hours, and she has raised more than £15,000 for charity and counting. So, hi, Jo. I mean, I know that was two years in the making that challenge for you what a massive achievement how how was that for you
1: yeah it's still sinking in to be honest I mean it's just two months since I did it and um I still can't quite believe I did it because I wouldn't describe myself as a sporty person um I've always loved swimming and yeah it came out of having done other swims um but yes I it's I think it's going to take a while to sink in
0: I mean, swimming the English Channel is no easy challenge, is it? And I've read a lot about it. I've heard about it. Um, it's not something as simple as saying, I want to swim the English Channel. On this day, I'm going to go and do it. So can you tell us a bit about what goes into um, a fundraising challenge
1: like this? Yes, to swim the Channel, English Channel, um, you have to do it with a registered boat, a pilot boat. So most people book their boats two, three years, maybe longer in advance when you have the thought oh i quite like to swim in the english channel um you do you have to train for it for quite a while anyway so actually booking it 2 3 years in advance is not a bad idea unless you've got a strong background in swimming which some people obviously do but a lot of people are just normal people like me who think oh i quite like to try something as crazy as that um so yes yeah, so i started off with small swims um and sort of built up over 2 years um to eventually do it and yes uh, the actual day you, you you don't know exactly when you go you book a week so that all the swims go on neap tides so if you know anything about tides spring tides you have high high tides and low low tides there's more shift of water and neap tide there's less shift um, and when you swim across english channel you're swimming across the tide so you Uh, it's never a direct straight line if you look at all the tracks they're always sort of an s-shaped curve because you're being pushed up and then down the channel so I knew I was the week of the 14th of September and that being booked for over two years and I'd booked my leave and I work as a doctor so it's quite I had to sort of speak to work and I actually started telling my patients beforehand that um that I had this swim book so if their appointments got moved at short notice uh, you know I, I hope they understood that and I would obviously see them as soon as possible and they were all lovely and understanding about that Um, because equally if I kept saying to my pilot if you get an earlier window I I can go because my big fear was not going at all Um, and that does happen and it happened this year to quite a lot of swimmers because the weather in August wasn't very good. And August is usually the best month to go. So uh, and yeah, the week before I just woke up every morning feeling like I was going to do an exam and I couldn't eat breakfast till sort of 10, 11am just felt sick. So when I got the call on at six o'clock the night before to meet at Dover at half five in the morning, um, I just felt this overwhelming sense of relief, really of oh, okay, brilliant, I I can swim.
0: (laughs) So the next day, the swim happened. And I just wanted to talk a bit about the actual reality of the swim, because for 15 and a half hours, you were in the water. No, no land nearby to have a little rest. You were in the water. That must have been, well, cold.
1: Yeah, (laughs) no, yeah. Yes. I mean, um, the best time, I mean, September, the water's sort of at its warmest. I think it was about 17 to 18 degrees when I did it. So quite warm, um, relatively, um, so yeah, it is different, I guess, to sort of running events because if you are running a marathon, you can choose to stop and walk or something. But when you're swimming, uh, if you stop, you get drift. You drift with the currents or the tides. You you know you can't. You can't. If you stop, you have to tread water. Although salt water is quite buoyant, so you're using up energy. So actually, all you can do is is just keep swimming. Which is so yeah, it is um, yeah. And and when you when you start you I think I guess with like any long event that you do at the beginning you you have all sorts of things going through your head and um all the what ifs and things but you very quickly settle into a rhythm and then after a few hours you're actually just in autopilot um and and I was very much you know of the mindset I'm swimming to France it's very different to a training swim when you're sort of thinking I've got to do so many hours or yeah you're thinking about doing the shopping or what you've got to do at home you know on the actual day you're thinking right this is it I've got to get to France. And
0: How did your mind change during those 15 hours so I can imagine at the beginning it was exciting you had the adrenaline of finally actually doing it after all the training to how was it near the middle and and then finally coming to the end what sort of went through your brain I can imagine it was going around yeah
1: it was. And I have to say, I guess, although it's a solo event, it's very much a team event. So I had crew. Um, so I had two friends. Uh, well, I had four four of my friends crew, crewing as well as the boat crew. Uh, so Fiona and Roy had both swum the channel before. My friend Rolf that I swim with in Brighton and my brother Rue. Um, and they're a big part of keeping you going. Um, So during the swim, you know, I started off and I had like a feeding plan of sort of, I want to be fed every hour. So actually, one thing you get taught in training is you just swim to the next feed, you don't actually think how long you're going to be swimming for. Um, And you're always told never ask how long you've been in the water or how long you've got to go because, if you feel you can still keep putting one arm in front of the other, then you just keep going. So um, my crew were great. Every now and again, um, a, a few times, Fiona got in and swam with me. Um, the support swimmers are allowed to swim behind you or alongside you. They're not allowed to pace you. But so, so that sort of broke it up. When you got into the shipping lane, you saw the big ships, really big ships. Um, they also had a whiteboard where they put messages on. So my brother was posting on Facebook and Twitter and my friend Rolf was on Instagram so I had messages from friends and family and also they put sort of about how much I'd raised as I went along so when I broke various barriers and like this is so that always gave me something different to think about um the difficult bit was at the end so the last three three and a half hours it it got dark um I knew I knew I'd been in the water for over 12 hours because I guess you don't ask the time but you can tell by the moon where the sun so i where the sun is in the sky and then when it gets dark like okay I know I've been swimming for more than 12 hours now cuz I started at 6:20 so yes yeah, so for the last 3 hours um suddenly the atmosphere on the boat very much changed that the, the way it got windier um there was more swell I'd been moved to the other side of the boat to protect me from from the waves a bit um and the chop um, but they just suddenly started screaming at me just swim harder faster go joe go go you've really got to swim push push and um I was like oh dear what, what's going on and um at the next feed I I said can you keep shouting because I, I just felt tired um and, and my arm had started to hurt a few hours in anyway so I, my at the end my right arm just looks rubbish <laughs> as I'm swimming along I can tell you all but um I was really feeding off them shouting at me. And I just thought, I did think, should I ask them what the problem is? And then I just thought, no, because if I, because my big fear was the swim being stopped because of safety, or you're not allowed to land north of Sangatte. And I actually landed at Sangatte. You're not allowed to go into the French shipping lane or land beyond Calais. Um, So I thought, oh, you know, I was just thinking, all those sort of things. And I thought, well, actually, there's no point me asking because. I can't do anything about it. All I can do is keep swimming and keep swimming harder and as fast as I can, as they keep shouting at me to do. Um, And I don't want to ask them because I don't want them to think that I've got any seed of doubt. And actually, I also did think about my patience. I thought, I've been swimming for 12 hours. I'm fit and healthy. I've done this. You know, I look after some really sick people. And I thought, you know, I, I am raising money for them. And you know, I've just got to keep going. So thinking about them and the charities w- was a big motivator when I had to really dig deep. Um, So yeah, that that really got me near the end, oh, to the end.
0: <laughs> now, did you ever find out why they were screaming at that point? Were yeah.
1: There- so there was a boy in the water. So there's marker boys in the French Insul waters, and uh, the pilot was very insistent that I had to swim south of this boy. To make sure that I got into land, and if I went north of the buoy, I think there was going to be a risk that the swim might have gets, might have um, been stopped because I would would have been dragged up past Calais. So that's why they were screaming, and I sort of knew it was something like that. And I didn't you know know exactly because I've never swum the Channel before, but I knew it was probably something like that. And and you know you do hear of swims. I've known people whose swims have got sort of stopped three hundred meters off the coast before because uh, they're too tired or cold or they just can't get across the tide Because so I was trying to cut across tide and current and wind so I had quite a lot against me to, to try and get to land.
0: But thankfully you managed to do it so after all that training the waiting around you managed to get in the water and complete the swim of the English Channel and I just I wonder like if you could talk a bit about what that meant to you because you raised £15,000 for um, two health charities and you work in the health sector. What was that moment like when you found out how much you'd raised when you knew that you could go back to your patients and say I did it?
1: <laughs> I know I, it's really overwhelming and actually I think I'd hit £8,000 on the swim and then I've since raised a lot more after the swim. Um, so it's I feel I guess I feel proud that I did it I feel very humbled you know lots of people that I know some of my patients have sponsored me people I know people I don't know it, it's such a huge sum of money and I've done other swims before and I've raised a few thousand pounds which is still a lot lot of money Um the swims like I did the dart 10k and another swim another swim beforehand and um but this I think because it's a challenge that not many people do it really motivate motivated people to give and also they know what I do. I know I look after lung cancer patients and, you know, it, it is a hard, it's a hard job at times. It, I love it, but it, it has its challenges. Um, and I know with the money that's raised, I know with the, the Sussex Cancer Fund is a local charity that supports patients in Sussex where I live. Um, and you see uh, where that money goes. When I did some research, when I was training, they they partly funded my MD and they continue to do that now so they will have a real impact on on um, patient care um, at at all levels and and then the Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation is is a sort of national charity so I wanted to pick a national charity it's the only one that focuses on lung cancer solely really it does a lot of um, awareness work about prevention and and well also spotting the signs of lung cancer early because of the one of the reasons why the outcomes for cancer lung cancer can be so poor is because people present late with advanced disease uh, and we also use the patient leaflets at work um, and they're really good and I, I think they're really good and I think the patients that we give them to find them helpful as well so um, yeah so yeah it's it sort of makes it worthwhile because it, it is a selfish thing to do to do all the training and you know it takes up a lot of time um, but it's nice to feel that all that effort is going to be put to good use as well. It's it's not just benefited me as on a personal level.
0: Have you spoken to the charities who you fundraised for since, or had any communication about the impact that your money will have?
1: Yeah, not. I mean, we I'm still fundraising a bit, so I've spoken to both charities, and they've been really supportive along the way and really grateful. Um, so I, I don't know exactly where the money will go. Um, I might be able to have a chat with my, our local charity a, a bit more if, if there's something specific. Um, but I haven't explored that yet. Cause I've sort of still, I guess I've still been recovering and try, <laughs> trying to yeah, get over it. Um, physically it also takes it out of you. So someone said that, you know, you you'll find you try and do some strenuous exercise and your body won't respond in the same way. And it's right. It, it doesn't quite yet, but as I said, I'm, I'm no athlete. So, um, you know, I've always thought of myself as sort of unfit and, and, um, yeah, a bit overweight. And, and people saying you would have to change that narrative now and you can't say you're not fit. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess I must be, I must have good, good heart and lungs to keep going. So, yeah, so I've got to sort of remember that as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say you described yourself as someone who's not very fit. You're not a professional swimmer. You're quite amateur, but you've just gone and swam 15 and a half hours and done the English Channel. So, um, what that does say to me is that anyone can achieve something if they put in the prep and the planning and also put their mind to it would you is that something you'd say you had to do to sort of get through from booking this in to actually crossing that finish line
1: yeah absolutely i think um it, th- there is a lot of preparation involved there's no manual to tell you how to train to swim the english channel you know you can print down a chart of how to train to run a marathon it doesn't exist all the stuff that you look up online it just says there's no one size fits all so um you sort of have to make it up a bit as you go along and speak to lots of people that have done it before which is what I did trained down in Dover with some people that had swum the channel and also other long swims and just take the bits that you felt were useful for you um I yeah I think the you, know, you do have to build up to sort of longer swims um so I mean what did scupper training a bit was lockdown um over winter because the winter I was planning to do sort of speed work in the pool um and drills and things which of course the pools were shut for a few months so I kept swimming in the sea and the temperatures got sort of below seven six degrees I was swimming up to an hour it was really ridiculous temperatures um but just so that I could keep swimming as well as doing land-based strengthening work and things um so you just have to listen I guess what it's taught me is you sort of do have, there isn't a one size fits all you do have to listen to your body um but equally you have to push your body your mind can take you to places that you're you don't think you can and lots of people say the channel sort of 80 percent mental 20 percent physical is um I don't I I still think you've still got to obviously be physically fit. You've got to put the hours in um, because your body has to be able to respond to swimming for 12 plus hours. And the longest training swim I did was a 10-hour swim in July. Um, So, but, you know, then after that sort of six-hour swims, which you you have to do a six-hour qualifying swim below 16 degrees um, with all your registration documents. And it gets, I I remember joking with friends saying that, you know six hour swim feels short and you know <laughs> and a one hour swim's nothing and you know and, and that's you know even now like I've I I've said to people oh, I've just done a two K swim in the pool and 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 for most people that would be quite a, a normal significant workout and you just like oh it's just two K so yeah so your point of reference just shifts. But yeah you and I think the training does help. So it they say about training you know, in bad conditions when it's wet and cold, um, so that you get used to feeling uncomfortable, because obviously on the big day, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Um, so I think all of that's really important. And also that you do have to start off thinking that you, you could do it. I think, you know, I did go through a period in around July time, actually, early August of thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Um, but actually, if you look back at your training and what you've done, and you know, the fact that I knew I'd done that 10 hour swim, I I could really hold on to that and go. Well, okay, you know that that's a a really good swim. I felt okay afterwards. Um, So yeah, I've done my best. But yes, I think it does show that if you put your mind to it and you prepare and you have the right people around you, you've got to have friends and family and people that you know want are willing you on. And and I've never been big on social media, but I did. I set up, I joined Facebook, for example, just so that I wasn't missing out on swimming events. And that was, that was only sort of three, four years ago. And then I sort of, amongst swimming friends, showed my training and what I was doing. So a lot of people said it's been really lovely following your journey and seeing you start out with your short swims and then do your longer swims and, you know, all the ups and downs along the way. So that's been that's been really lovely.
0: Social media can be great for sort of highlighting these fundraising challenges and letting people follow your journey like you said would you were there any other um ways that you managed you think to raise awareness of the charities you were fundraising for but also the challenge you were doing that other people listening might find helpful
1: yeah so I think um, I guess I I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself so some people choose to not fundraise because they don't want the added pressure but actually I found that a motivator so you know as I said at the end I think uh, I, I spoke to, well, particularly having, say, two, a couple of charities or one charity, they often have links to local media. So I spoke to the lo- my local newspaper. Um, the charities wrote stories about me on their pages, on their websites, just to raise awareness. Um, it, where I worked, there was posters up all around the cancer centre saying I was going to do my swim. Um, and so I think those, those things, like, on, on my... Twitter page I had my fundraising link at the top so I think though all those little things really help and then word of and then a lot of it is word of mouth to be honest um I think and the more people you tell um and actually nearer the time as well and so I think also on the day my brother was when I was actually doing the challenge he was giving updates and little videos on Twitter that anyone could see so actually him posting stuff really got people um Well, really got people hooked on following me and then also donating because because I think what struck what struck me and also struck lots of people is like I started swimming before they went to work and then they got home and I was still swimming and there was this little video clips of me still doing my challenge um so you know and and they were just I can't believe she's still swimming so I think your support crew when you're doing a big event if they are able to publicize it at the time and post clips of what you're doing I think that does motivate people to give and then also after the event people do when you've completed the challenge a lot of people I think hold some people hold back to give until after they want to see that you've done it um some people give before you know everyone's different um so I think also posting updates afterwards has has helped and at work um on my sign-off signature on my email I put my link um so if you use email a lot at work um put your fundraising link at the bottom of your email um because then again that also kept caught quite a few people and they're like oh and then they asked me about it and then they donated so yeah all those little things help
0: (laughs) We send so many emails. That is such a great tip.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: And one thing we ask all the guests on this podcast is it's called Define Optimism. When you hear the phrase Define Optimism, what does that mean to you?
1: I think I, I have thought about this because I don't think I would describe myself as a really optimistic person, but it's about just keep going. And I think you know, for me, it was just keep swimming. It's about, I guess, in all parts of our lives, we have challenges. And, you know, it can seem a little challenge to one person, a big one, the same challenge can be little to one person and a really big thing to another. But it's about the fact that you should keep trying whatever obstacles are in your way. And, and if you don't succeed, then try and work out why you didn't succeed and what you can do differently to, 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 get over that hump or, or whatever yeah, stops you, reach your goal. So I guess that's probably what it means to me.
0: I absolutely love hearing people's definitions because I've asked quite a few people now and every time someone has like a slightly different but really interesting definition of sort of defined optimism and being a defined optimist and also not necessarily seeing themselves as one but realising that everyone around them who has seen the challenge they've done is looking at them thinking wow you're amazing not thinking it's something they can do but everyone has these snippets of inspiration and that's what I think is so great from hearing people's stories like yours especially when there's someone like you who says I'm not a big sporty person because it gives people hope that they yeah can do as well
1: no I definitely and and I joked, I, I always said um I put it on my work whatsapp group I said I I thought I'd send the channel I'd I, my eye my idea of hell is running a marathon I'd hate to run a marathon so I've always sort of said oh I'd rather swim the channel than run a marathon a bit flippantly but I really would I I still wouldn't want to run a marathon so I guess the other thing is to pick a challenge that you think you're going to enjoy because actually the training is the hard bit and you've got to have fun along the way um and because that that also keeps you going um but yeah I it very much. I, I'm definitely not a sporty person and um, just normal. Um, yeah, so a bit overweight, which helps for swimming in cold water. Um, so again, yeah, I picked a challenge that suited my body type. Um, yeah, so I think I think you can do what you want to do, but you need to pick something that's going to suit you in some way and that you're going to enjoy. Because if you start out thinking it's a slog or thinking you're going to hate it, then you you're gonna you're just making it really hard for yourself because it's even if you enjoy something you have really tough days and days when you don't want to get out of bed and train um so yeah at the heart of it you've got to you've got to have some love for it
0: well what an incredible achievement you completed it and I'm sure you had times over the past two and a bit years where you wondered whether you'll get to this stage where you were reflecting back and talking about what you did but I think it's absolutely amazing And as well, to hear about the fundraising you did, I can imagine being able to go back to your patients and saying, I did it, was such a wonderful moment. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And it was amazing to hear your story.
1: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me along.
0: Thank you so much all for listening and hearing from joe about her incredible english channel swim if you enjoyed our conversation and enjoyed listening to the podcast please do subscribe rate and share it with someone else who you think may enjoy it or if you're looking for some more positivity head to our website smileymovement.org to get your daily dose of smiley news thank you